in pink, even St. Elmo's fire. She rocked out to Wham, not a big Limp Biscuit fan. Thought she'd get a hand on a member of Duran Duran. Where's the mini skirt made of snakeskin? And who's the other guy that's singing in Van Halen? When did reality become TV? Whatever happened to sitcoms, game shows? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, TGIM. Thank God it's wait, what? It's it's Tuesday. Oh shit. Well, this is still the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're back with you this week. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. How's it going? We are a day late <laughs> and not a dollar short because there's no money coming in. Oh, but yeah. anyway, but yeah, uh, so we got to have the dollar first. <laughs> yeah, I, I did put the word out, but yeah, hopefully you guys understand. Sometimes we're going to be a day late here and there, but uh, it's first, first time for everything. But yeah, we still got it out this week, so yeah. that's that's the important thing. That's right. Wanted one extra day to bone up on research, right? <laughs> it don't hurt. Hey, that's, all right, we're back this week for uh, part two of 1985. Yeah, it's been an interesting trip back in time. And uh, hey, Aaron, do you? Huh? Do you know that the most important magazine of all time debuted in 1985? Really? National Geographic? No. Oh, like Time Magazine. No bigger. Much more important. Barely Legal? You're getting close, but uh, but no, not Barely uh, Legal. I'm, talk, I'm talking about Metal Edge. Oh, yeah, of course. Metal Edge, man. That You're right. That is the greatest magazine of all time. Yeah, you know, that had hard-hitting, in-depth journalism like, what's your favorite <laughs> color and what's your favorite birthday cake flavor? Right, but there's no magazine <laughs> in my whole life, including up till today, that you yeah. see on the newsstands that I have ever gotten more excited over seeing the new issue of. No, I bought it faithfully every week. Yeah, me yeah. too. Every time it came out, I mean, I couldn't wait to get to the get to the grocery store or wherever yeah. to pick up the latest edition of Metal Edge. Yeah, and back in the back, uh, well, not in '85, but a couple of years later when I started buying it faithfully. I would be trying to get GNR specials and Poison specials. Yeah. Those were like my two bands oh, at the yeah. time. Yeah, there was great magazines at that time. Hey, did you also know that in 1985 the worst song ever recorded came out? Dress You Up by Madonna? Mm, no. Uh-uh. I would say Hurt by Juice Newton, but you know I like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, the worst song ever recorded from 1985 and throughout all the time, The Super Bowl Shuffle by the Stinking Chicago Bears. You're only saying that because you're a Packers fan. It's no, a, it's, it's a great song. It's documented. It's documented. Did you know I lived in Chicago that year, <laughs> and I still have the VHS tape of the making of that video. Oh, my goodness. There was a lot of great VHS tapes in 1985. Uh, we're Oh, Geek of the Week. Yeah, who is Geek of the Week? Uh, Geek of the Week this week is Michael... Uh-oh. This is why I asked you to do it. Gehafer. I think that's right. Gehafer. Or Gehafer. Gehafer. From perhaps. Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yeah, not too far from here. Yeah, he sent us an email at decibelgeek at gmail.com, and this is great. you got to check this out. Uh, it says, what's up, guys? Greetings from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a huge fan of the show. Kissmas in July was great, by the way. Thanks for doing this podcast and helping me get through my work days. Amen to that. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Anyways, we have a local paper here in Louisville that shows mugshots of all the people arrested throughout the, uh, throughout the week. We got, we got that. It's just busted here, it's called. Um, just picked up this week's issue. And came across something I thought you guys would get a kick out of. I have to say, Aaron, I think you have a great voice for radio, but you don't look anything like I would have pictured. 
And uh, I, I, you got to include this in the show notes. Yeah, the, the picture will be on the show notes. And yeah, it, it's uh, Aaron Camaro, and it's uh, apparently, apparently I've been arrested for impersonating an Asian man. Is it Asian or Mexican? I can't make. Yeah, it oh, is an Asian guy. Yeah, I isn't think it? so. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a guy in the uh, paper in Kentucky that just busted paper named Aaron Camaro. He was speeding, <laughs> He's going 22 miles an hour over the speed limit. <laughs> you got a name like Camaro, you have to drive fast. He's speeding I guess. back to his baby. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy the picture, guys, and keep up the excellent job on the podcast. Oh yeah, Chris, can't leave you, old man. Uh, I enjoyed all your picks in this week's Radio Sucks Radio Show. Take care, fellas, and uh, slow down, Aaron. I will. I'll, I'll try to keep it within the speed limit that's great feedback especially and he, he, when i'm in kentucky yeah and michael <laughs> sent the sent the photo and i'll put the photo on the show notes and also on the facebook fan page at facebook.com if i ever get pulled over in, if i ever get pulled over in kentucky they're gonna be like you've got a warrant for your arrest i'll be like no, no, no it's no. not me <laughs> <laughs> look at my picture right <laughs> so that was great okay so we got to get in ni- 1985 yeah, there's a lot to come up i mean we could have easily split 1985 into three episodes, but we're hardcore like that. A day late, but we're putting in the extra work for you and pounding it all out today. From now all the way to the end of the year, get ready yeah. for some kick-ass rock and roll. Where else are you going to get <clears throat> facts like 1985 was the year that the plastic thingy that saves hot pizza from the top of the box being invented came from? You know? Oh, well, yeah. It's like a little G.I. Joe table. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> table. Um, um, yeah, Tommy Hilfiger started making his own clothing in 85. That seems like a 90s thing to me, but I guess you got to start somewhere. That's just when black people started wearing all oh, of it. Oh, yeah. Not to be racist. And Axl Rose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did, didn't he? And then he punched him. Yeah. No, Tommy Hilfiger punched him. Oh, they got in a fight? Yeah, you'll have to check that out sometime. Uh, the tie, Tommy, he hit him a bunch, bunch times, and Axel just kind of stood there and chuckled while he was doing it. Yeah, Tommy Hilfiger's not very imposing. <laughs> uh, the Titanic was found 370 miles from Newfoundland. Wow. So, and uh, at the time, they thought it, it was all they thought it was all in one piece that they could just raise it up out of the water, but they quickly found out that that wasn't going to happen. No, it had been down there for too long, rotten. And uh, the cost of a Super Bowl ad in 1985 was a paltry $525,000. Damn, what's it like today? It's like $2 million. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Big-time inflation. So I guess we might as well go ahead and jump right into the month of July because there's a lot of rock and roll coming up. We got to check out. We're gonna play some uh, some tracks for you, some samples of some great stuff coming out in '85. And uh, one of the biggest things that came out in uh, July was the Live Aid concert that takes place in Wembley Stadium, and uh, I think they do it in London and also in Philadelphia. The headlining acts at a later venue included a Led Zeppelin reunion, and I, I remember this when I was a kid because I remember my dad going, this is a pretty big deal right here. Oh, yeah, but the, if I recall right, they didn't sound very good. No. They actually sounded pretty sloppy at the yeah, show. Yeah, because I remember seeing it and thinking, well, you know, this doesn't – I didn't understand the big deal, you know, and maybe that's why I was never a huge Zeppelin fan because that would have been the make-or-break moment for me as a 10-year-old yeah. actually seeing Zeppelin. If they'd have came out and blew my mind – you know, I've maybe been more into Zeppelin. It was interesting, too, because it was like a transatlantic uh, concert because you would have, you know, part of the show was going on at Wembley Stadium in London, yeah. and then the other part of the show was going on in Philadelphia. At, I think it was Veterans Stadium at the time where the Eagles played. That must have been kind of a thing going on in 85 because we talked about it last time with WrestleMania, how it was like from three different venues. Yeah, yeah. it was. It's, it's an interesting show to look back at. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube for that uh, footage of that show, so it's interesting to look at. Um, but yeah, we should go ahead and get into the music. Um, I guess I'll go first. In uh, July, a band called Rough Cut put out an album, self-titled album, and uh, Rough Cut was. Uh, in, you know, it's funny we mentioned we played uh, the new King Cobra album a little bit yeah. a couple episodes ago, and Paul Shortino is the vocalist for King Cobra now. But back in this, back in 1985, he was the singer for a band called Rough Cut, and uh, 
Rough Cut, you know, didn't really go on to any big success. They uh, they were just sort of here and gone all of a sudden. But uh, this, I chose this song because it's got an interesting little twist to it. This uh, this track is called Take Her, mm-hmm. and uh, it's also co-written by Ronnie James Dio. Oh wow! So if Dio's in the picture, I got to play it, right? Yeah, it's got to be good. Right? Here's a taste of that. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, it, it didn't hurt anything that uh, Wendy Dio was the manager. That's probably how they got Ronnie to do the song. But uh, yeah. you know, it's a pretty good song. It's, it's, it's all about who you know. And I can hear a little bit of Ronnie's influence, in the, especially in the the uh, lyrics. Yeah, you know? I'm not real familiar with Rough Cut, but that makes me want to hear a little bit more of I them. I think Jakey Lee is tied to that band, and I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm sure people will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he had something to do with that band for a while too. Not in '85, but I think he played with them for a while. Rough Cut, L.A. band. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. right on. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go into August. All right. Well, in August, big news is Richard Ramirez, of course, the serial killer known as the Night Stalker, is captured in Los Angeles after a long and terrible killing spree. Yeah, I, w- I was reading up on him the other night as we were researching for this because I remember, I remember him a little bit, but I didn't know the details. And, man, there's the Wikipedia article. Just, it's, oh, was, it's insane. Nuts, I mean, the, yeah, he was just raping and killing and you know, pentagrams and blood all over the wall, and just, he was a evil, evil, evil dude. You know, and I and I honestly, looking back on it now, you know, from a perspective now, looking back on 85, I can kind of see how, you know, parents and preachers and everybody were starting to get pretty upset with rock music and pretty scared of it, and it's got a lot to do with this guy, you know, uh, talking about what a big ACDC fan he is mm-hmm. and, and the devil worship. Here, here was a kid who was... You know, listen to hard rock and heavy metal music, and look what it did to him. It drove him into insane raping oh, and killing. That and his, you know? his biggest influence was a cousin who was in Vietnam and explained in detail how he would murder people and dismember them. Right. I'm sure that had something to do right. with it rather than but, but on Brian the, Johnson but on and the, Angus Young. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> but on the surface, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's easy to scare people into saying, well, this is the result yeah. of that. So, yeah, was, And we'll uh, get into that a little bit later in the year. We're going to see the results of some of that. Yeah, he died just a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, crazy stuff. But uh, 19, uh, speaking of crazy stuff that some some people probably don't know, 1985, Pantera released an album. Yeah, most people don't know that, and that's probably because they don't want you to really know about it. They totally don't. And uh, they released an album called I Am The Night, and it was their third album in 1985. So they've been around for a while. This is pre-Phil Anselmo, and um, it was definitely more straight-ahead metal. Terry Glaze, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the best vocalist, but um, no, but they were. It was a totally different band than the Pantera that everybody's come to know and love. That's this actually, for sure. this album went on to sell twenty five thousand copies at the time. So that, I mean, it, it didn't do horrible, but well, they, for, were, they, they were, were huge in Texas. Yeah, pretty good stuff. And this is a an example of Dimebag. At least, even if the vocals aren't good, this is Pantera with the title track "I Am the Night." Mm-hmm. 
Wild, yeah. It almost here a little bit. Of, Terry Glaze almost is like he's pulling off a King Diamond type vocal yeah, style. Kind of hear like the merciful fate influence on that. You know, you, it almost begs the question: if Pantera had a different singer back then, would we be talking about Pantera from 1985? As you know, you talk about the Big Four. Mm-hmm. Pantera, you would think would be in that group. Well, everyone but Terry had the, the talent. Right. I don't think Terry was very good. I think he was definitely holding them back. As well, you know, then when they got Phil, they did do the power metal album right. after that, and it's. It's more straight-ahead metal. I don't know that they would have taken the to that heights of you know Metallica and Megadeth and all that. Yeah. But they were. I, de- I mean, the the talent was definitely there. But uh, they definitely caught you know caught their groove once they did uh, Cowboys from Hell. Yeah, for sure. That's that early stuff's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Ronnie James Dio earlier. Well, Dio's not just hanging out in 1985. Nope, he's coming out with his third studio album since leaving Black Sabbath. It goes to 29 on the U.S. album charts, and I'm talking about Sacred Heart. Good album. Great album. And it's got, like, the cover that looks like it could be the cover of a Dungeons & Dragons book, you know. Isn't that all of his album classic, covers? <laughs> classic deal, exactly what you come to expect. <clears throat> it's got Vivian Campbell on guitar, Vinny Apsey on drums, Jimmy Bain on bass. I mean, what a great band. And, you know, it is 1985, so also Claude Schnell on keyboards. Well, and those guys are playing together again. Yeah. Yeah, last in line. That's right. New project. And, uh, you know, Dio, as a band, they've been banging them out now. You know, Holy Diver comes out in 83, Last in Line, 84, Year After Year. Here's another one, 85, Sacred Heart. Standout tracks on this one, King of Rock and Roll. Man, I love that tune. Hungry for Heaven, the title track. And here's one I know you're going to love, a little taste of it right now. It's Ronnie James Dio and the boys on the Decibel Geek Podcast with Fallen Angels.
I do too, man. And then, uh, you know, Vivian Campbell was such a good fit for that band. As my, I know he and Ronnie definitely had their battles between each other. But yeah, this man, was actually the last album that, uh, that he would do with Vivian them. would do. Yeah, you know? and it's you know for a lot of years he wouldn't even acknowledge that work, and now he's finally getting into it. And uh, right, it was they were a good match, man. Even though they didn't get along, that was some real magic that they uh, developed between each other when they played together. Yeah, it's true. It was those albums, those early '80s Dio albums. Yeah. You just they're hard to beat, man. It's, there's great chemistry on those records. Um, I'm gonna go to a, a band that, uh, you know, they don't get nearly the credit they're due from, especially from the '80s. I'm talking about Kicks from Baltimore, Maryland. Now they were pretty popular at the time. They were. They didn't. They didn't get. They didn't blow up like I thought they should have because they put out some really good albums. Um, blow my fuse is probably their biggest album. Was blow my fuse before or after '85? That was after. Yeah, it was like '87 or '88. I so think. So Kicks is still kind of trying on to their get way there. Up. Yeah. yeah, they they released Midnight Dynamite in '85 on uh, Atlantic Records. Came out in August, and um, there's a lot of good tracks on this. But you know, Steve Whiteman, one of the more underrated lead lead singers in oh, rock for sure and he still can do it today still looks the same too yeah. a little bit more yeah. wrinkles but just as skinny as always and uh you I know it's like kicks really good band you know brian forsyth on guitar great guitar player donnie purnell on bass you know they were they were a really good band and uh i had a friend that was from the baltimore area and he used to go see them at a club called hammerjacks up there yeah I've and heard of that. said that they just they'd blow everybody off the stage that they played with nice. just incredible band so uh this is Kicks with, uh, it's definitely not a lot of deep thinking on this, but it's a great song. This is Kicks with Sex. <laughs> How long do you think they slaved over trying to decide what lyrics to put in the chorus for that song? I don't know. I mean, it was, was a lot of deliberating. I was just thinking that, you know, back in the 80s, <laughs> around 85, they, the bands sure loved to sing about the lovemaking. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't much uh, innuendo. It was just like, no. let's just, what, what am I thinking about? Sex. Right. Okay, let's put it on paper. We're good. Yeah, for sure. Let's record it. <laughs> so, yeah, kicks with sex from Midnight Dynamite. Nice. Yeah. I like that. So that brings us into September, and right off the bat in September, huge music news. Oh, man, I, I hate this story. Uh, <laughs> the old douchebag Michael Jackson ends up, he pretty much screws over Paul McCartney. I guess, the, I believe the story is Paul McCartney comes to Michael Jackson and says, hey, you know, I'm trying to get the publishing rights for most of the Beatles catalog, 
and it's really expensive. You know, can you help me out? Yeah. You know, and Michael Jackson, well, he don't need no help. He's the richest man in the world. Yeah, he was he had a lot of money back in those days. Yeah, everybody loved Michael Jackson. Well, geez, man, it's funny how things change. But, uh, yeah, this should have been the, the first clue to everybody what kind of guy Michael Jackson really was. Because instead of helping a guy like Paul McCartney, who has been, you know, good to Michael Jackson, they've done debut uh, duets and say, stuff. Say, say. Yeah, all that together. You know, and he just goes behind his back and just buys them all, screws them over totally. It's good business, though. <laughs> Dirty sucker. Made a lot of money off of that. Man. Yep. But I yeah. hate Michael Jackson. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I guess McCartney did. McCartney end up buying it back, or does the I don't Michael know. Jackson estate still own that? I was thinking about that, and I got to imagine that the estate probably has it because Man. you know them kids. You know, they might be stand up and say, "You know what? I think we should give this back to Sir Paul." That would be you nice. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody, you know, Tito and Jermaine are like, "Uh, uh." Yeah, I, no way. I don't think Paul McCartney's hurting for money either, though. No, <laughs> but still, I think rightfully. Yeah. You know, I guess to him and Ringo, well. Maybe not Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go into Ringo. Well, and that was the, not the only big legal thing going on in September of 85. Oh, man, this was huge. September 19th, the Parents Music Resource Center had the hearing on rock censorship in Washington, D.C., and the most famous appearance, of course, was Dee Snider from Twisted Sister. You know, as much as I despise Michael Jackson in 85, I love Dee Snider in 85. What a cool dude. You know, I love it that he walked in there. And he looked like, you know, dirty rock and roller. That was intentional. He yeah. didn't dress up for court. Nah, you he know, made he sure came he was there and was himself, you know, mm -hmm. did being what he is. And he came up there and they expected, looking at him, you'd think he'd be an oaf and an idiot, you know, and go up there and <laughs> say a bunch of stupid stuff and just prove their point. But instead, he comes up there, he's intelligent and well-spoken oh, yeah, and yeah. made me proud He's to be a, a rock guy. and roller. He made me real proud to be a rock and roller when the, I seen that on TV. The f although the funniest appearance of the whole thing and the whole the whole that that proved that the whole thing was it was just a waste of time between Washington Housewives was Frank Zappa's appearance because the song that they or the album for Frank Zappa that that he put out that they wanted on the was it the Filthy 15 is that what they called yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. It was an instrumental album. There were no lyrics on the album. It must have had something to do with the artwork. I then, guess, right? but it's just kind of it, it's preposterous. It's like and then Frank Zappa showed up. I was like, why am I here? Right. You know. And then John Denver oh, was there. John, John Denver, Denver got great. put on the list right, for Rocky because, Mountain High. Yeah, because they thought that he was talking about the old marijuana. You know, yeah. the evil weed. You know, sad. But, you know, even John Denver's like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, and then you know, of course, this resulted in the explicit lyrics label being put on album covers right and a little bit later on in the year we'll talk about the very first album to earn that sticker which you know it, it did a lot of artists a favor because then kids are like Ooh, oh i want to totally, buy that totally you know? yeah it just made it more attractive oh, i'm gonna prove it before the end of the episode yeah so uh september is also a busy month what happened on september 22nd uh september 22nd was farm aid and it, it took place in champaign illinois it was the very first one and it was a benefit to raise money for america's families farmers you know in danger of losing their farms to foreclosure now what i find interesting about this is the very first one features artists like willie nelson johnny cash david allen Coe, kenny rogers and bon jovi oh really yeah all those guys in bon jovi but here's what's really interesting you know who else appears on the very first farm aid mm -mm. eddie van halen and sammy hagar hmm huh conspiracy wait was this before well, the this, was, this was, well, no, it would be after the announcement that Van Halen had broken up. 
but or that David before Lee Roth had Sammy left the band, officially joined. But before, yeah, so before this was Sammy, them dating. So yes, this was them just kind of feeling yeah, each other hey out. Hi, yeah. What, what are you doing? Interesting. Nothing. Do you know what song they played? I don't think they play together. I think they play oh, separately. They just, oh, they were But just I there. believe they met. Hmm. Yeah, you know? that's uh, interesting. Nice. It's funny to look back on that sometimes and be like, really? Well, it is. You know, we've made it um, twenty plus minutes into the show without mentioning Kiss. Oh. Well, but that changes now. Good. Okay. It's about time. Yeah, Kiss released um, probably their worst album cover in 1985. Oh, yeah. They released Asylum, which uh, a very Andy Warhol-like cover, also inspired yeah. by a group called the Motels that ac- had released an album. Um, it was a good album for its day, I guess. You know, this was a lot of Kiss fans don't like this album. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't like the image. You know, yeah. I didn't. Oh, like, no one liked the. Image. I didn't like you know the, how Especially goofy Gene. they looked. Yeah, you know, and you got to remember in '85 we talked about in episode one. Gene Simmons was producing uh, the band Keel. Yeah, he was busy so with other stuff in, in Hollywood and all that stuff. Yeah. So we, I don't know how much he had to do with this album, but I do know that some of the tracks that he's involved on on, the, on Asylum are really good. You know, it's almost like with Gene, it's like you need a song, give me five minutes, boom, yeah. here's a song. Log, need, fireplace, need, done. Need another one? Here's this, boom. Done, you know. So Gene Simmons could show up at the studio and be like, "Eh, here's five songs I just yeah. wrote in the last 24 hours. You know, I think they're pretty good. What do you think? Wow, these are awesome. You right. Know? All right, back to Hollywood. Yeah. See ya. And this album has some clunkers, like uh, you know, "Loves a Deadly Weapon." And uh, I don't know. I kind of like that. Paul has a clunker or two on here too, like "Radar for Love." Don't like that one. I like that song. Too. Do you? We have yeah. totally different taste. But uh, this is one I think we both can agree is a good Kiss song. This is uh, a track co-written with Jean Bouvoir from the Plasmatics and Paul. This is "Who Wants to Be Lonely." Compared to the other Kiss albums, maybe Asylum's not that great, but compared to a lot of the albums that are coming out in 1985 and the bands that Kiss is kind of emulating, yeah. good stuff. I thought it fit in fine. Yeah. Do you remember the video for that song? Yeah. The Bruce Kulick dunking booth? Yes. <laughs> Goofy stuff, but you know what? It's 1985. Yeah. Not the best look, but there's a few good tracks on that album. And now... Time for something completely Compl- different. <laughs> but actually, and in, in research, released on the exact same day as a song. Oh, really? Yep. How interesting. Yep. Yeah, we're talking about Slayer, Hell Awaits, you know, we're talking about some really, really heavy music that's kind of debuting in 85. You know, we talked about Anthrax, and we've talked about Megadeth, and, mm. you know, Metallica's out at this point, and all these, in Overkill we talked about. And uh, Slayer releases their second studio album, which, you know, in my opinion, it's always, to me, 
Hello Waits is really kind of the first album. To me, Show No Mercy was more of a demo, you know, uh-huh. because they really didn't have it together. I mean, it was it was financed by Kerry King's dad and Tom Araya's day job. Really? You know, so now, <laughs> they, but, you know, nothing against it. It got them the uh, the attention that they needed to take it to another level. Now, on this one, like I said, their second studio album, Hello Waits, Tom Araya kind of finds his voice, you know, mm-hmm. sounds like, you know, what you expect him to sound like. Kerry King and Jeff Hanneman, you know, they're playing really, really fast. Yeah. That's what they do. <laughs> That's what they do. And Dave Lombardo, you know, I think one of the best drummers out there. You know, I you, was, you you know it, right it, it's there. well known on the show that I'm not a Slayer fan, but I, Dave Lombardo oh, is. You can't, you can't help but be impressed by Dave right. Lombardo. Do, Incredible oh, player. Fucking rocks. I'm picturing Kiss fans and Slayer fans standing in line at the record store on release day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get the image out of my head. <laughs> I'm sorry. You with the fluorescent pants yeah, on this yeah. side. You move over here. You with the scars yeah. over there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Slayer in 85, they're coming out to be the antithesis of commercial rock and the emerging glam metal scene. They're against it, you know, and even as far as being described as a psychotic exploration into the depths of Satanism and physical torture. Lighthearted right? stuff. <laughs> right there with Juice Newton. Yeah. You know, not that these guys don't get Motley Crue crazy while they're on tour. They go on tour with Venom and Exodus and somewhere along the line, a drunk Tom Araya pisses in the face of the lead singer of Venom. Really? <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. It, it prompts a tour bus fist fight that leaves Araya sporting a black eye for the rest of the tour. See, that dude from Venom was you know, nuts, man. I mean, so, he really did buy into all the stuff they were singing about. Right. Venom yeah, were crazy. Venom was crazy. But, you know, so was Slayer back then, apparently. So, you know, they might not have wanted to be like Motley Crue, but they could still party like them if they wanted to. So here's a taste of that one. Like I said, came out in September 1985 right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's Slayer. With at dawn, they sleep. Uh, joining me on the line is Kyle Kruger, who is leading up the Here I Go Again documentary project. Kyle, how's it going? Chris, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Um, can you? Uh, we gave a good nuts and bolts summation of it last week. Where's the campaign at now, and how much time do you have left to, to meet your goal? Well, we've got a crowdfunding campaign going on on Indiegogo.com. Uh, that's accessible, by the way. If you go to HereIGoAgain.com, it'll link you right to it. Um, we're two weeks left, and um, we're a little behind the eight ball. Uh, we're not quite where we want to be. Um, to be honest with you, the, the goal that we set that's visible is very minimal, and we did so to kind of avoid some of the penalties that uh, Indiegogo has in place if you don't meet your goal. But our true goal is uh, a lot higher than uh, we have on there. And, Chances of making that aren't, aren't great, but uh, we're hoping that we can keep driving this thing and keep getting people interested in what we're doing. 
if not for any other reason, just to get us further into the stream so they're aware of us. Yeah, and I actually, I really want to see this one happen because this is, um, you know, I know some people have, com have uh, compared this to the Anvil documentary, but I think this is a little bit different because it's definitely more of a DIY thing because Anvil never really went away. They were, they continued on, but this is an interesting kind of a, almost from a fan's perspective, you guys are kind of the everyman, and I think that's what, it's kind of an interesting story to watch happen. Um, can you give us a teaser of uh, where things stand with the band right now? Well, as far as the, the band is concerned, we're, we're at a little bit of a standstill because it comes down to the same thing. We, in order to, to bring everybody together, the time has got to be right. We've got to be able to afford to do it because we're talking about sequestering us together for 30 days and 30 nights. And uh, in, the, in the film world, that's an expensive proposition. And then we've got to take care of the guys and, and make sure that they're covered for the time that they're missing from work. So. But that's really what this film is about. It's if you have the opportunity to go back and do something again, would you drop everything and go do it? And uh, what stands in the way of most people achieving what it is they want to do? It's the same thing, time and money. And that's what it, what it kind of boils down to for us. So we have the intent, um, but right now it's a, it's a funding issue. For our listeners, because we play a lot of stuff from the era that you guys were originally from, just give a little quick uh, list down of, of, some of the some of the people that are in the movie. Oh, wow. We've got members of Tesla. We've got members of Kicks, Keel, L.A. Guns. Um, I think the be better question is who don't we have? Yeah. Because I think that list is a lot shorter. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, it's totally our demographic, and that's why we wanted to help spread the word on this because, you know, if Aaron and I could make a movie, this is kind of the movie we would want to make, especially as far as the interviews goes because the, the trailers you guys have released are really good. So it's like I think – you know, listeners, if you, you want to see a good professional quality product that will entertain you, especially if you like listening to the Decibel Geek podcast, this movie is for you. So we really want to get behind this project, and we really think you should make a contribution. I made a contribution this past week, and it came with a really cool MP3 compilation album and has a ton of great bands that Decibel Geek fans would like. So, you know, if I'm going to do it, you guys can do it too, because I'm definitely on a strict budget. I'm not making a bunch of money off this podcast. So... Um, check it out. Go to Indiegogo.com or go to HereIGoAgain.com. And, uh, Kyle, is that the best way that people can check this out? Yeah, just go directly to our website. We'll link it right through. And the great thing about this thing is for whatever you contribute, there is a reward tier for you. There is no free lunch here. You put something in, you're taking something out. That's the way it rolls. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's stuff that you can uh, check out, and I will put the link on in the show notes for this 1985 Year in Review Part 2 episode. There will be a link that you can go, and you can contribute and see this movie happen. Kyle, just promise me that you'll come back on when this movie is ready to go out. Absolutely. All right, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast as we tear our way through 1985. And so far, so good. We've played some really good music, everything from Kiss to Slayer and everything in between. Yeah, still picturing Kiss fans and Slayer fans standing in line at Sam Goody. That's, That's just, crazy. I wish somebody would have got a photograph of that. Although at that time, at that point in time, I'm thinking there was like 50 Slayer fans in line and two Kiss fans probably. Yeah, Kiss wasn't exactly at a high point that time. All right, well, so we're still in September, <laughs> and uh, the, only, the only September pick I have is I wanted to look into the band. Do you remember the band Vandenberg? Yeah, wasn't he uh, a really good guitar player, big, tall, blonde guy? Adrian Vandenberg. Yeah, yeah, and he he was in Whitesnake at yep. one point, right? Yeah, I think he, during the 87 Whitesnake album, I believe, yeah. Yeah, that was the Americanized version. Yeah, uh, where they would take some of Whitesnake's older tunes and then kind of thrash them out a little bit. Yeah. Which kinda, I love that They album. 80s them up. 
Yeah, and make this, them current. <laughs> they released uh, an album called Alibi, and it was their third album. They actually Vandenberg actually opened up for Kiss, I believe, on the Lick It Up tour. Yeah. So of course, there's your Kiss fact. Um, this album was released on September 6, nineteen eighty five, on Atco Records. And uh, yeah, Adrian Vandenberg, the only one, only member of the band that I've ever heard of before. Like Bert Hearink was the singer, Dick Kemper was bass, and Josh Zoomer was the drummer. Hmm. So nobody that I've heard before. I'm sure some of our that's listeners will know everything about that. That's why the band's not called Zoomer. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> Vandenberg sounds a little bit better. Van Halen, Vandenberg. Hey, it works. Sure. So um, yeah, this is a track uh, called "All the Way." Somewhere in an alternate universe, <laughs> there's a Rocky soundtrack with that song on it. <laughs> For sure. How how did these guys not get on the Iron but, Eagle soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that's that's the mid '80s in a nutshell, wow. right there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, very motivational. <laughs> a little bit of Def Leppard influence you can hear on that one too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mutt Lang had a, had everyone by the balls back in those days. Mm, that's right. All right, that brings us up to October. And October eighteenth is a day that, well, maybe not on that day, but it, the results of this would change my life forever. <laughs> <laughs> and many children that were about our age in nineteen eighty five, as the first Nintendo home video game console in the United States is released by the Nintendo Entertainment System. I remember it well. Super Mario. Mario Brothers and Mike Tyson's Punch Out and a little Double Dragon and oh yeah oh man my favorite Contra yeah I loved Contra up down up down left right left right you still A, remember B, it like start Gosh, oh you yeah still remember that it's it's engraved yeah in my brain. I remember that too always wow. that was like to find that that was like the holy grail of being a kid was to get turned on and smartened up to that that code. And this was, of course, after dozens of times of blowing in the cartridge and putting it oh, back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did, I, mean, I was thinking about that one day. How did all of us know to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it was just like try anything to like get it to work. Like somebody did it once, and then so, and it worked, it and then the somebody standard. else saw him, and then he went from there. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. And Mike Tyson's punch-out, man. There's no telling how many hours I spent on that oh, game. Oh, yeah. You know, double drain. There were so many of them, man. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was just the greatest thing ever. And of course, the biggest bummer Duck for hunt. me in the mid-'80s was the Friday the 13th game. Oh, I was man. big into horror movies at that time. I liked I, that. I thought it was lame. I thought it was cool because it was like a, almost like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of a thing. I was seeing a little midget, midget Jason walking around. <laughs> this, is, this isn't scary. But the music was scary. Yeah, the music was good on when it. When Jason would show up, I remember the music, and you'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, Nintendo. Uh -huh. I remember that stuff. All right. Also in October 1985, ZZ Top is back. That's right, that little old band from Texas. Texas, man, they just came out with a huge album not too long before this, and I'm talking about, of course, uh, Eliminator, you yeah. know, and it had Legs and Sharp Dressed Man and all those huge hits on it, 
And, you know, when ZZ Top in 1985 comes back for their next album, Afterburner, well, it's working for them. Well, you know? it's, it's Billy Gibbons and uh, Machine. You yeah, know, synthesizer. yeah I really don't like this era of ZZ Top, but financially it worked for them. You know, and what's funny to me in doing the research of this, you know, it's it's obviously Afterburner is an attempt to duplicate the success of Eliminator, which uh, it goes to uh, Eliminator goes to number nine, mm -hmm. and this one Afterburner actually goes to number four. They were the very popular. So, you know, it was oh, a resurgence yeah. for them. Yeah, you know, they had songs on there like Sleeping Bag and mm -hmm. Stages, Delirious, Rough Boy, Velcro Fly. I mean, these are all you know pretty good hits back in that day. You know, in 1985. But here's one that I've always liked off Afterburner. So here's a little taste of what ZZ Top was up to in 1985. And this one's called Planet of Women. pretty obvious that around 1985 the synthesizers take a huge oh, advance yeah. in technology because everybody's like on the synthesizer kick thank he, you I eddie mean, van halen even zz top yeah you know, that's that's crazy that's the last band you would expect to yeah. have synthesizers in the band uh, but you know that that's some of their biggest stuff they ever came out with southern fried aerobics music <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Kind of. Uh, not my favorite era of theirs, but boy, they really laughed all the way to the bank on it, though. They yeah. made a lot of money in the 80s. But, uh, they well, sure did. You know, and we were talking in an episode, uh, in the first episode of 1985 that came out last week, uh, I talked about the band The Power Station and yeah. caught a little bit of hell for, yes, you know, you <laughs> for knowing so much about Power Station. But it was just one of them things where I, I dug the song. I really liked the guitar playing on that album. And when I started researching it, I found all these crazy stories about yeah, the band. So I kind of went overboard we will, a little uh, bit. So we will play that voicemail <laughs> in full on episode 100. Yeah, it's great. It I was kinda, from a really good listener. Kind of get, get chewed a little bit by a faithful listener, but that's all and right. And speaking of that, episode 100 is coming up. We want your phone calls. Just call in. Tell us what the show means to you. What you like. What you don't like. 540-DB-GEEK-1. That's yep. all you got to dial. We, we want Let to, us know. We want to include you in episode 100. Yeah. So also in October comes out the band Arcadia, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the other half of Duran Duran. They come out with the album So Red the Rose. I don't even remember that. It's, yeah, yeah, because the, when the band split. You, you know an awful lot listen, about this but stuff. But listen, you know, this is where it's Duran Duran basically being Duran Duran with no guitar. Ugh. So let's let's go ahead and skip. Yeah, let's, please. <laughs> God. Let's not talk about that. Instead, let's talk about this, a band that came out with their second studio album, unless you count the, uh, the 1983 Death Cult album. Uh, this is The Cult, and uh, they came out with the album Love. Yeah. It's the first by The Cult to chart in the U.S. It goes up to 87 on the album charts. And at this point, the band is kind of more psychedelic rock with a touch of new wave pop influence on it. You know, the... 
American music scene hasn't really gotten their hands on these guys yet and changed them as would you know a lot of bands. You know, you talked about White Snake, how yeah. they became same deal with the cult. well, they you know, they, they were, hopped onto the bandwagon with Sonic Temple after this. Well, no, their next album was Electric. No, electric. but I mean a couple albums right, later. and that was produced by Rick Rubin. Right. You know, and it, it's more of a hard rock sound, kind of what you think but of when really, you think of cult. But really, the the overall, if you look at their whole catalog, this stuff from around what they were doing in 85, 86 is more their speed. Sonic Temple right. was a little bit outside the box for them. Right, because, you know, Billy Duffy, he really shines a little bit more on those albums, yeah. I think. I think he more guitar-driven. Because, like I said, this is kind of new wave, kind of poppy, yeah. some of it, you know, so the, the guitar playing isn't like rock guitar playing. Yeah. Like, and later, you'd find out that Billy Duffy's a hell of a guitar player. Oh, yeah, he's great. You know, and there's still some great stuff on this album, too. Some of the standouts on there, of course, She Sells Sanctuary. I Love think that song. Everybody probably knows yeah. that one by the cult, one of their most famous songs. A couple more I like, The Phoenix and uh, Hollow Man. But here's one. I don't know if you've heard this one before or not, but I think you're going to dig it. It's The Cult with Rain. Interesting stuff from the cult is they're emerging. You know, they're starting to get their name out there, and yeah. like you said, in a few years they're going to be huge. That's a that's a great sounding album. I think yeah. that that's one of the most well produced albums from the eighties. I like it. And if you ask a lot of somebody that's a really serious cult fan, uh-huh. nine times out of ten they'll tell you that's their favorite. It's a great album. You know, and that that's a band that if you have if you're only familiar with Sonic Temple, look into the rest of their catalog. It's right. good. And Billy Duffy, really underrated guitar yeah, player. Yeah, he is. And they're actually they're if you like the Electric album, they're touring the entire Electric album right now. Nice. So I'd like yeah, to see start that. to finish. Come, I like. I really here. like. Oh, the actually, cult. I think they're here tonight. Now that I think oh, about shit. it. But, um, <laughs> oh shit! See you guys later. Show's yeah. over. See, we we sacrificed going <laughs> to see the cult to do this show for you. No, I'm just kidding. But um, uh, speaking of resurgence, uh, Aerosmith came out with "Done with Mirrors" in November of '85. Uh, yeah. And "Done with Mirrors," of course, you can take that two ways because the the al- everything on the album is backwards, so you can read it forwards in the mirror. Yeah, you got to hold it up to the mirror to read it. And they had finally given up on cocaine, so. Done with mirrors. So oh yeah, double meaning makes sense. Steven Tyler loves all that double meaning stuff. So. Yeah, he does. You know, done with eighth studio album released November 9th, eighty five, just four days after my birthday. That's oh. historical reference. <laughs> but um, everybody will be like, "Oh, I remember that." This was the return the day, of uh, the day Chris was born. Yeah, of course. <laughs> this was the return of Joe Perry and Brad Whitford, who had left the band yeah. in eighty one. Joe Perry was doing the Joe Perry Project, right? And. Uh, the song that I picked was a Joe Perry Project song that was reworked for this album, and I, I, I like the Joe Perry version better, but it's still a great song, and it's still probably my favorite song on Done With Mirror, so yeah. uh, this is Let The Music Do The Talking. Rock and roll, baby, if you want to dance, grab yourself a and take a chance, 
You know, and when people talk about Aerosmith, you know, a lot of times this album kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But yeah. honestly, to tell you the truth, me personally, that's one of my favorite Aerosmith albums. Really? I love that song, My Fist, Your Face. <laughs> that's a good one, too. And Sheila yeah. and Why a Dog. And there's, well, a, there's like, a bunch of good stuff on there. There's still a lot of that 70s spirit on, yeah. on Done With Mirrors. Yeah, so. and I think that's why I like it. Because it would be shortly after this, the kind of the band would change their style. Diane Warren and Desmond Child would show right. up and start working with them. And, yes. And things changed. You know how that goes when Desmond Child shows up yeah. it's time to, to well, alienate your fans and make some money I was gonna say back up the Brinks truck to your studio that's right so yeah you know, you know, different different days for Aerosmith I interesting time for them because they were just getting sober at that point so uh, right. that's that to this day that's still one of the most surprising comebacks in music history I'd say yeah because talk were, about a band that imploded right I mean they were <laughs> as about as low as you could get and now you know look at them even today yeah you know They're Steven Tyler on American Idol and yeah. all that stuff you know and they're still huge, you know. They don't put out music worth a shit, but not really. Know, they're still really popular for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> people love them. Here's another band that was having a tough time in 1985, talking about Twisted Sister. And in November, they come out with the album "Come Out and Play." Yeah, it's their fourth studio album and a follow-up to 1984's "Stay Hungry," which was a huge breakthrough for Twisted Sister. I mean, it had some huge songs on it. Now, when they came back into the studio, they st struggled with the idea of which style to go in, the harder edge style of their first two albums, which I love, or the popular sound that scored them big hits like I Want to Rock and We're Not Going to Take It. Yep. You know, Come Out and Play ends up being a little bit of both. You yep. know, a little bit of both. Got some heavy stuff on there, but then it's also got songs on there like Leader of the Pack. I love that song. And <laughs> <laughs> Oh, then you must have really loved Be Cruel to Your School. I did. You know, and that song featuring Alice Cooper, Don Dockin, Brian Setzer, and Billy Joel. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, and it's like, geez, why didn't this... Now i got to change the way I feel about Twisted Sister. <laughs> Shit. Well, this was just, you know, this was the end, you know, and, and it's like, geez, why didn't that live up to expectations? You know, you got Billy Joel playing on a Twisted Sister album. Weird. Saying, you know, well, why isn't this right? And saxophones and stuff like that on Leader of the Pack. I mean, you know, the album, it still went gold. But when they went out on tour, it was low attendances, and you know the band was fighting and all kinds of inner turmoil and stuff like ego that. was out of control. Yeah, yeah, because basically they they'd come out with one more album, but it was pretty much a D D Snyder solo album yeah. that the rest of the band was made to play on because of record company obligations and mm -hmm. you know all the old business music business side of things. But yep. for all intent and purposes, this is the end of the band. So what a way to go out. This is a song I love. Talk about some of it was poppy and funny and goofy, but some of it kicked ass like their earlier albums, and here's a great example of that. From 1985's Come Out and Play, it's Twisted Sister with Kill or Be Killed.
broadcasting from the rock and metal mecca, Nashville, Tennessee. What in the hell? This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. All right, we're in the home stretch right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. Right here, ripping through 1985 Part 2, and we're just about at the end of the year. But before we get back into it, we want to remind you guys once again, hit us up at www.decibelgeek.com. That's your home for everything Decibel Geek, from, you know, great articles written by our team of writers that we have, you know, they're at our disposal, and yep. we don't even have to tell them what to do. They kick so much ass on their own. Stuff. Yeah. Um, there you'll also find a place where you can proudly purchase a Decibel Geek podcast t-shirt and of course, you know, you can also there while you're there, you know, why not? We're all having fun and, you know, we're, there'll never be a week where we don't come out with the Decibel Geek podcast, but there may be times once in a while when we're late, but don't yeah. hold it against us no. because we're always going to be here for you. And, uh, you know, if you feel so inclined and you, you want to give us a tip, you can do that at the Decibel Geek uh, website by hitting the donate button. You yeah. know, we've had one donation that I know of. And had we're, two, actually. We've had two, yeah. we've had two donations that I two. know of now. <laughs> yeah. And we're so grateful for them because, you know, this isn't easy. You know, no. we, we make it seem easy because we're having so much fun. But in reality, it's a lot of planning, a lot of research and all that. So if you want to give us a tip and help us out, yeah. we very much appreciate it. And we'll probably uh, make you Geek of the Week automatically. Yeah, probably will. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, um, yeah, and also, if, you, if you're not able to afford anything like that and you haven't, le- haven't done so, go to the iTunes and leave us a review. All right. All right. 1985, I got, I got a good one for you. Um, this one came out in November. It's their third studio album, and it's a follow-up to 1984's Tooth and Nail. Yep, you I guessed it. I'm talking about docking. And the one that comes out in 1985 is Under Lock and Key, which, you know, Tooth and Nail is awesome. Under Lock and Key is pretty damn good, too. Um, it actually beats Tooth and Nail. This was surprised me, too, just like the ZZ Top thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Under Lock and Key hits 32 on the u.s album charts uh tooth and nail makes it to 49 really i would have thought tooth and nail was a higher because yeah, that one's kind of remembered more right well this one had the single in my dreams which would we reach 24 on the singles charts uh, of course don docking on vocals george lynch on guitar wild mick brown on drums and jeff pilson on bass who uh, replaced juan crocier yeah, Jeff Pilson's played with just about everybody. Yeah. He's still at it, too. Man. About a year earlier, Juan would leave to join Rat, and uh, Pilson, man, that guy kicks ass. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and give you a little taste of that. A lot of good songs on here. Um, it's Not Love. Man, I like that tune. Yeah. Uh, Slipping Away, Unchain the Night, and this one, uh, this one rocks. I love George Lynch on guitar. This is Doc in 1985 with The Hunter.
Well, that's a good example in 1985 yeah. rock music right there. Can you imagine being the drummer in a band with Don, George, and Juan? It'd be cool. You'd, you'd go insane, too. I'd be, have to be wild, right? You'd have, it would drive you wild. It would drive you insane. <laughs> drive imagine you being in a band with those three guys. I'd just stay drunk all the time. Worked for Wild McBrown, right? <laughs> Get drunk, steal some uh, golf, golf carts, cart, go yeah. wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's big on TV in 1985? Uh, the top ten in TV in 1985. Number one was The Cosby Show. Yeah. Number two was Family Ties. Oh, yeah. Number three was Murder, She Wrote. Oh, I hated that show when I was a kid. My grandmother loved it. Oh, yeah. Number four was 60 Minutes. Number five was Cheers. I like Cheers. Six was Dallas. Who shot JR? Seven was Dynasty. My mom loved that. Eight was The Golden Girls. I know you love that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd listen to Juice Newton and then watch The Golden Girls. Right. Uh, nine was Miami Vice. I only liked it when Ted Nugent and Gene Simmons were on there. Yeah. Glenn Fry was on it, too. Oh, yeah. And number 10 was Who's the Boss? Who's the Boss? What a crazy show. The same plot every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was 10 years old at the time, so the, the three new TV shows coming out in 85 that I was really excited about. Yeah. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Oh, I remember that. G.I. Yeah. Joe, Real American Hero. Yep. And Thundercats. Thundercats. That was some big yep. that was some big deal yep, to me. I watched in all 85, three. man. Love those shows. <laughs> some of my favorite shows. I still watch some of that today. Yeah, and we know and we're we got a couple songs left. We're the the last couple songs are gonna be from November because quite frankly, December didn't have much to choose from. No. So strange. um but new new stories that happened in December, just want to touch on real quick. Uh Two young fans on December 23rd, near the end of the year, two young fans of Judas Priest and Sparks, Nevada, shoot themselves, one fatally after listening to the band's records. A lawsuit is brought against the group in 86, claiming that they're compelled by the backward subliminal messages hidden in the music. This was the Stained Class album. It's a great album. It is. and I uh, love it. I've never, it's never made me want to no, kill myself. No, it was, it was kids that were depressed and had other stuff going on that did this to themselves. Right, but again, you know, and you look at the times with the PMRC Let's just and, blame rock and, and roll. the Night Stalker and all this, you yeah. know, it's it's all pointing towards the evils of rock and roll, well, and, you know. It, guys like Dio and Motley Crue with their pentagrams and all that really yeah. aren't helping things. They're well, kind of cashing in on it more than anything. Well, sure they are, but you know, I think it has more to do with parenting than it does bands. Oh, but totally. It's easier to point the finger at the bands. And it's funny that, you know, you think that's an epidemic in 85, you know, where maybe on the forefront there was a lot more people picketing concerts and doing things like that. Yeah. But throughout the ages, parents have always been afraid of rock and roll. And, sure. You know, that's kind of the nature of it. Right. And that's what I think makes it appealing. It's the rebelliousness of it. You know, and in 85, there was all kinds of music like that. Yeah, there was um, bands that were formed in 85. Britney Fox, Dream Theater, Driving and Crying, Rocks Gang. Right on. Some band named Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah. Uh, L.A. Guns, too, then, I yeah, suppose. L.A. Huh? Guns, you know, the first of 25 different lineup changes. <laughs> Jane's Addiction, L7. Yeah. Oh, I like L7. And a great punk band called the Mr. T Experience. That's It's strange to me that Jane's Addiction and L7 were formed in 85. Yeah. It seems early. But the Mr. T Experience, I pity the fool don't buy my records. That kind of shows you that, you know, those bands were around a long time before oh, they yeah. broke. Oh, yeah. Know, L7, yeah. Uh, and uh, bands that broke up, Diamond Head, one of Metallica's biggest influences, yeah. Hanoi Rocks, Merciful Fate, which would end up turning oh, into yeah. King Diamond, right. uh, The Power Station, yeah, the, the broke one, up the year they were formed. One album wonders. Uh, Quarter Flash, gonna harden my heart. Scandal, oh, yeah. yeah. Scandal, some. they had The Warrior, right? Yep. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that song. That was big, too. 
Uh, born in 85, Orianthe, Alice Cooper's guitar player. That makes me feel old and him feel older. Uh, mm. Reggie Bush and Bruno Mars, born yeah. in 85. Died in 85, Nicholas Colasanto, who was the coach character from Cheers. Oh, man, yeah, I remember that. That was sad. That was a Yeah, I remember that. Very sad. Because um, he was such a lovable character. You no, know, he was a great part of that show. Margaret Hamilton, who was the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Kiss fans will know from the Paul Lynn Halloween special. She was on That's that. That's right. Rock Hudson died of AIDS, first big celebrity to die of AIDS. Yeah, there'd be many more to follow in the next few years, yep. but uh, that was the first big one. That made everybody realize, you know, this can get anybody. Yeah, uh, Orson Welles died, and uh, uh, Ricky Nelson died at the end of the year in a plane crash. Oh, yeah. And then his sons came up, came out Grew with Grew up and became Nelson. Nelson. Okay. Long-haired, pretty boys with acoustic guitars, yep. and the girls loved them. And yeah. Part of what we'll get into that in the upcoming yeah, years we will. when you know <laughs> the downfall of that kind of music and how bands like Nelson helped that along. Yeah, talented guys, but yeah, just oh, we talked about TV earlier. Here's one I forgot. What's um, that? knocked off a of TV that year, and this one I'm sure made me very sad when I was a kid. The Dukes of Hazard, no oh, more yeah. in '85. No, no more Daisy Duke to look at every week. No, so uh, we've got a couple more songs to play, and then we got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, King Cobra came out with their first album, Ready to Strike, in 1985. And uh, this was released on November 9, 1985. The single Hunger was written by members of Kickaxe, the uh, Canadian band. Oh, yeah, I remember them. I didn't know that. I had this on LP when I was a kid. I don't know how. You did? Yeah, I don't know how, how whoever gave that to me or wherever I found a yard sale or something. Oh, and, and the, the, single, the, the single Hunger was also released in 86 on the Transformers, the movie soundtrack. Oh, yeah, the animated one. Interesting, because yeah. Orson Welles, that was his last thing, acting thing, was doing a voice in the Transformers movie. Wow. Uh, See the shit you learn on yeah, the Desperate small, Podcast. Small world. <laughs> uh, King Cobra, uh, at that time, fronted by Mark Free, who is now Marcy Free, uh -huh. thanks to an operation. Who she is now. Yeah, and uh, David Michael Phillips, Mick Sweeta, Johnny Rod, and Carmine... Pick your pronunciation. Apathy. Apathy. We'll say Okay, it. on drums. Sweeta, he was... That must have been... I wonder if he was coming out of Twisted Sister because he was in Sw Twisted was he? Sister. I know he was in Bullet Boys. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of yeah. Bullet Boys. So he was in Bullet Boys later. Yeah. Okay. I just saved you getting an angry email from somebody. Thank you. That's why I say I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> why I'm. Real, we've gotten good at I'm, doing that. I'm real vague with the things I say sometimes. Yeah, we've gotten good at <laughs> saying I don't know for sure, but yeah. So at least uh, when I mess things up, people usually will be like, "Eh, he don't know." No yeah. Better. So this is my last pick of the day. This is uh, King Cobra from the Ready to Strike album. This is Shadow Rider. the guitar hook in that yeah some good stuff 
And Carmine's, you could tell Carmine was kind of the leader of that band because the drums are very prominent. Yeah, that's good, though. Yeah. When, when he's your drummer, they should be well, pretty yeah, prominent. Well, yeah, the guy's resume speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and we talked about King Cobra in part one about the uh, Iron Eagle soundtrack. And Classic. That, that crazy-ass video. You know, I just picture these guys playing and then flying away in jet fighters. But uh, God. I was looking. Other bands that were on that soundtrack include Dio, Helix, Queen, and Eric Martin pre-Mr. Big. Really? Yeah. By himself? By himself. Huh. He, I believe it was either him by himself or the uh, Eric Martin band. Oh, okay. Might be worth looking wow, he's into. he's been around that, longer than I thought he that's had. That's what I thought. I was really interested in that. I thought, well, this guy's been around for a while, but I guess they had to find him somewhere. I got to go buy that soundtrack. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> you get the video. The video is enough for me. Yeah, I need a flight suit. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loved Jet Fighters in 85. Yeah. All right, I got one last pick before we wrap things up today for 1985 Part 2, and here is a band, and we talked about the PMRC earlier and their evils. Well, here was the very first victim of the PMRC and the dreaded parental advisory sticker. I'm talking about Wasp with their second studio album, The Last Command. That's a good album. Oh, it's a fantastic album. Um, It's produced by Spencer Profer. Proffer, Proffer, Proffer. and uh, who two years earlier had produced the uh, six-time platinum uh, metal health by Quiet Riot. He made a lot of money on that album. You know, a band like Wasp is going, yep, that's our guy. That's who we need right there. Um, Like I said, it's the first album that they they slapped a sticker on, and yeah, you know, it's Wasp, so the lyrics... The lyrics are pretty messed up, usually pretty sexual and violent, oh, but yeah. that was their thing. You know, but I think the main thing they said that was the big deal about it was, and I remember this because, I, again, I had the LP when I was a little kid. Somebody's given me these. Um, the inner sleeve of the album featured a graphic with a bloody painting of the band members with their heads on stakes, and I think that was the thing that really freaked freak people out you know how could somebody take that the wrong way right you know but it's 1985 and it's funny something like that nowadays wouldn't even get a second glance probably not not at all goofy yeah yeah um this would be steve riley's first album with uh on drums with wasp after as we said earlier in the uh, first episode and all the way back in episode 185 he left keel and joined wasp for this album yeah and like you said it's just a killer album blind in texas you want to taste that one go back to the drinking songs it's a great episode. album that right? the whole album's there. awesome yeah, yeah Widowmaker, wild child that's that's kind of a classic 85 video if you want to check that one out on the old youtube fistful of diamonds i mean i go on and on the whole yeah. thing is good so well, we gotta get out of here yeah we gotta wrap it up so we're better to go with this one than the title track the last command So this has been 1985. Thank you guys for joining us. We're out of here. See ya. See ya.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.